Welcome back into another episode of the All Ball Podcast. Got a bunch to talk about with regards to the NBA playoffs and the second round. So many different storylines with each of these series, but we'll start off with the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, who just finished up game five last night with the Brooklyn Nets winning it in a thriller. We saw one of the most historic performances from Kevin Durant. But before I give my thoughts, George, what do you think about this? Yeah, and I have to say the same thing. I mean, I guess you have to start off with Durant, you know, just, uh, you know all-time performance, um, really like showcased why he's one of the best players ever. Um, like 16 and 23 from the field, four of nine from three. So if you think about that, it's like 12 of 14 from inside the arc or mm-hmm. something like that. It was just insane. Triple-double, um, 17 boards. I mean, just a crazy game. Um, but I also think – I think you got to give credit to uh, Jeff Green, who had a fantastic game, eight of 11, seven of eight from three, 27 points. That's crazy. You know, you got it. You have to have games like that. You know, Blake played pretty well. Um, Harden was pretty bad, but at the same time, like, I don't know, you know, it's interesting. You haven't played like 45, 46 minutes um, and, and the stats aren't there, but I think the fact that he's like on the floor probably gives you something, but um just to like, yeah, to I gotta agree with you on the Bucks, man. How they threw it away, I just like, I didn't see them attack Harden as much as I thought you should, right? If he's mm-hmm. clearly not 100, percent I mean, he's basically walking out there. Um, not enough attacking Harden. Just not, just too much, too much like stupid Bucks basketball. I don't even know how else to put it, man. Yeah, no. Before the game, I was like, I'm thinking to myself, Harden's playing. They need to attack him like the Suns attacked AD in game six. And that's if they don't do that, they don't deserve to win. And they didn't do that. And they didn't deserve to win this game. They gave it away. The only reason this is a series and the reason it isn't over is because Brooklyn's injuries have allowed Milwaukee the benefit of having a chance at this point. Because, yeah, Harden wasn't good at all. Uh, But you still would rather take him over what playing – like, like Mike, Mike I, that's yeah, what probably. I was gonna say. Like, are you playing him or Landry Shamit for 40 minutes? Like, no, you'd rather obviously Harden, who still wasn't good, but I mean, the fact that they didn't attack him consistently. I mean, Drew Holiday, there was a play in the fourth quarter where he just dribbled right by him, and I'm like, why is this not happening more often? I mean, this is just another Budenholzer or just dumbfounded thing that he does in the playoffs. This is why this guy hasn't won in the playoffs, he hasn't made the necessary adjustments game to game. Um. I don't know. Giannis, like there were so many mismatches. I thought that Milwaukee just didn't take advantage of like Giannis has Joe Harris on him in the paint area with under five minutes left in the fourth. Why not post him up instead? Drew takes a contested leaning mid range shot with Kevin Durant against him. Like that was the even more frustrating part is that they have these mismatches and instead they are going at Kevin Durant, the only guy that you would like to avoid on the Nets defense, the only guy that has a chance of stopping you. Or it's like in the first half, you know, the Bucks would be up 12 with momentum. Middleton pulls up from 30 with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. Mm -hmm. It's like, dude, like you're not that guy. Another, you know, eight of 22 game from Middleton, three of 10 from three. Um, I mean, like, yeah, and and I will say Giannis, I thought was good with like not doing like the early shot clock, shot clock threes. Like that was one of the things I noticed. But it's still like, I don't know, make them work on defense. I, I thought I was impressed. I thought Giannis played well. I mean, fourteen of twenty-two. I thought he was really getting after it in the first half, and he saw the second half too. Obviously, um, maybe not. You know, your number one option, like really, really down the stretch. But I just think like, man, Middleton is crazy overrated. Holiday is crazy overrated. Um, so, and, and, you know, Giannis's flaws are, are decently documented at this point. Um, 
so it's just it's just classic Bucks basketball. And you know, we we haven't we haven't talked since the Kyrie injury, right? and so that's where you sort of thought like when we talked last week, it was two of nets, and I was like, dude, like this series is over. Um, and like you said, you know, they got lucky. They got like uh, they sort of alleviated themselves of getting ripped for a few days because of the injuries, and you sort of sneak into two wins, but. Yeah, this was criminal, really, like, to blow this one. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And then, like, we talked about this um, in the first two games, after the first two games when we last spoke, Giannis just not guarding Kevin Durant at all. I mean, this the guy, thing. Kevin Durant is putting on a clinic on the offensive end. He is the only person killing you, and it is, like, nobody's stopping him. Yeah, this is, Everything this is he defensive, brings. defensive player of the year, and, like, you know, one of the rare guys in the league that can match KD on length, you know, Giannis like six eleven. You got crazy wingspan. I mean, he's got similar, uh, what do you want to call it? like, you know, measurements to mm-hmm. to a uh, Durant. So you know, you couldn't design a better guy to be on him. Yeah, but he's nowhere to be found. Like I get it. For the first forty two minutes, you put PJ Tucker, Chris Middleton, whoever else on you because you want Giannis to reserve his energy. But the final six minutes, this is a close game. This is a must win game. This is your ability to steal one on the road. Mm-hmm. And then take and then close it out in your next game at home. Yeah, I remember. I remember what you said, and then I think about it when we talked last week about how you were going to give Giannis the benefit of the doubt, and you said, "Let's see what happens when it's a close game." But if you think back when Durant took that potential, either like game tying or game winning shot at the end of game three, it was still Tucker on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you know the same could be said down the stretch last night. Um, so you, you kind of have to. Uh, last night was last night was Middleton. And when it was in the closing, I mean, it's still just not yeah. Giannis. And that's, yeah, still yeah, just, that's, that's, yeah. that's the problem. Um, and, and so like, so yeah, you know, now he's sort of the benefit of the doubt is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, it's just it's so much wrong. You know, this sort of, I feel like the Bucks team is a classic example of the difference between um, the regular season and the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Just uh, and like why some things work in the regular season and some things work in the playoffs. And, you know, they're not always mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, because there were time and time again, I mean, the fourth quarter offense for Brooklyn was getting, getting Kevin Durant the ball at the top, at like near midcourt. They'd set a high screen and roll and he would get going downhill and he'd make his decision there. And it was just getting the prime to the, prime option to take advantage of the, of a bad defender. So it was Pat Connaughton. It was Brooke Lopez. It was one of those two guys time and time again. Meanwhile, on the other side, it was Brooke, It was Milwaukee going at their best guys, which, which was dumbfounding to me. I don't know. Like Giannis could do whatever he wanted. If you posted them up and Dude, they, just, almost, they, they, was, they went to that very, very seldomly. It was almost like the Bucks. Like I'm watching the Bucks, and I'm like, the only way that you could play this way is if you're like, you don't want to go after Harden out of like respect or something like that. You're like, oh, I think it's wrong to go after this injured player. That's literally how they were playing. It's the fucking playoffs. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, saying, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, like they wouldn't actually think that be inexplicable. But like, mm. that's all. I'm like, I'm like, do they think that? Is Boomers are like, oh, we don't want to go after this injured guy. Yeah. You're trying to win the game or what? I know so, it, it made no. It made absolutely zero sense. They just they went. They tried to make it the hardest as possible on them offensively to score which was just dumbfounding to me. And meanwhile, Brooklyn's making it so easy with one guy, one screen and roll every time, just attacking these guys. Meanwhile, Brooklyn's able to trot out like a, a James Harden with a hamstring injury that's been double aggravated at this point. You've got Joe Harris out there. You've got Landry Shamit out there. These are guys that you can exploit on the defensive end. It's not just one or two. It's like three or four. It's really just not Kevin Durant at this point. 
And that's the guy that they consistently on big possessions went after when you had mm-hmm. other matchups to go at. And then for, you know, Brooklyn, you know, uh, this is Kevin Durant's comeback game. This was, this was him reasserting himself as a top two, top three player in the NBA. If he wasn't thought of already, um, I mean, the late third quarter, fourth quarter performance was absolutely unreal. I think he's like the fourth player ever to have a 40, 10, a 45, 10, uh, 15 and 10 game uh, joining like Luca, who did it last year or this year, I forget. And then two other guys, um, his shot making, his playmaking and defensively was just was vintage Katie. It's like what we saw when he was in Golden State. Like I said, he had two big stops, I thought, in my opinion, when with the Drew Holiday, for some reason, prayer shot from the mid-range, and then he deed up Chris Middleton at the top of the key for a three-pointer when it was a kind of when it was a close game late in the fourth. And I want to point out one thing. I, I think Nash was very lucky the what, that he gave Harden the ball with under a minute left. It was like like right around a minute left, um, and the shot clock was winding down. The possession wasn't really going anywhere. And he luckily got it to Kevin Durant just in time. And Katie got the three pointer off with like 51 seconds left to make it 109, 105. I mean, let Katie cook. Everybody knows that that's the guy you have to go after. I don't know why Harden is dribbling the ball around for 15, 20 seconds at that point, because especially when he's one of 10 from the field, all of eight from three and Kevin Durant is putting on one of the best performances we've seen from him and probably in history of the playoffs. Yeah, I also just, I guess one last thing about Durant. I thought he was playmaking well. You know, he's not really a ten assist kind of guy. So, uh, I, you know, and I thought it really showed in the first half, especially when when they noticed that they weren't getting a lot from Harden. I, you know, there was that one play where he like drove and had the nice dump off to like Griffin or somebody. But you yeah. know, I was thinking like you know, he's playmaking well too. So, really just all around performance. Um, so as far as like as far as like the series picture goes, um, you know, both teams are down to playing six to seven players, right? You know, the, the Bucks and the Nets both played six guys like 28 minutes or more than they each had one guy. They played like 13, 14 minutes. So the rotations are real slim. Mm-hmm. I just think like I'm past the point of saying, oh, maybe the Bucks will make an adjustment and do things the right way in the next game. I just don't see it. I'm like, I, I will say, you don't think Lightning will strike twice. Like, yeah, even if Durant drops another 35 or 40 in game six, like it still might not be enough. But um, I, so whether whether it's six or seven, I got to take the Nets because I, I will be a fool to have faith in the Bucs at, at this point. Yeah, no, I, at this point, I mean, I took the Bucks to begin this at seven uh, and I'm, I got to change my pick at this point. Obviously, like the statistic I said before, I don't have the exact one, but I, I mean, they flash it every time it's a close game in game five when it's a two to two series. It's like 75 percent of the time the winner of that one goes on to win the series. But yeah. it's also about the fact of just in this scope of this series. I hate what the Bucs do. I hate the fact that Brooke Lopez plays so many minutes because he's such a liability on defense and he doesn't expose them on the offensive end. He's, Dude, he's, he's a guy too that tall to be shooting those 30 footers. Too I mean, tall. But he's he's fine in it, but it's just the fact of he doesn't bang in on the boards with them. He doesn't make a difference on the inside. And that's and neither does Giannis at really that much more than what you're looking for when you have that added height. And that doesn't make Brooklyn really weary to play their small ball five lineup. And maybe it would have been different if Dante DiVincenzo's out there and instead of Pat Connaughton, and then you can well, play. Well, I actually, but Connaughton's giving you a lot. I actually have to say, I think he's been playing really well and he's tough. But like, but not on the defensive end. That's the thing. It's yeah, like, but, that's but then also a, with no Connaughton, like, or sorry, with, sorry, yeah, with no DiVincenzo's, like, you can't really do that small ball lineup unless you go Forbes, Connaughton, and then the three guys. But then you have 
nobody on the bench. You know, you got that guy, Bryant, from BYU, who, like, I was seeing a little bit in game uh, three or four, rather. But, like, I think if you had Dante and then you could keep Forbes in the reserves and you could cycle that small ball out a bit more, but I just don't even think they have the depth to, like, be able to afford to play it. No, no, it doesn't seem like and that's the thing Brooklyn is dictating this series who's on the court and who they're able to attack and mi- make a mismatch of and right, so, I don't think the Bucks are. So we both pick the Nets. We both will have more Bucks ripping to do probably next week and in the offseason. Um, let's go to a different series. Let, let's go. Let's go to one that already finished real quick. Let's go to Suns Nuggets. Um before we get into the Chris Paul COVID thing, I guess my general take on the series is, and it's funny that now with Chris Paul, like other stuff, but man, he must have done something to get back to 100%, right? Between the Lakers, because I was thinking, like, yo, this guy's like 50%, 60%. Um, and, and I sort of thought, like, you know, shoulder injury, right? It's like right shoulder, shooting shoulder. You don't think it's going to get better from playing basketball, yeah. right? You're like reaching up, you're reaching inside, you're doing all that stuff. He's 100%. At this point, and I'm, I'm not willing to accept otherwise because, like, he started in the first couple games, like, you know, 20 points and like eight assists, 20 points, and, like 12 assists. Then it was like 20 points and 15 assists. And then he scored like 37 in, in game um, in game four. And maybe he's not shooting as many threes, but to be as dominant as he has been, I have a hard time believing he's anything less than maybe 95 percent. And at that point, you know, everybody gets dinged up over a long season. So that's basically 100 um, percent. Fantastic, fantastic. Man, I'm pulling for the Suns to win the finals. Honestly, I really want them to win. Yeah, I know. They're, they're the most fun team to watch. And obviously the Chris Paul sentiment. I mean, when you look at the difference between game five, game five or six against the, the, the Lakers, where it's like he's hobbling, he's holding his shoulder the entire time. He doesn't look right at all. It doesn't look like he can really dribble that well to what we saw in game three and four, spe- specifically. Like he was good in game one and two, but game three and four against the Nuggets, he was just absolutely – on another level, specifically game four, where he put up 37. I mean, this was just Phoenix just had too much talent, too much more talent than Denver at this point, especially, I mean, mainly because Jamal Murray's been out. Will Barton was out. Those are two guys that were, that are starters for them that weren't there. Michael Porter Jr. We saw with like the heating pad before game, just his back doesn't seem right. And that's obviously the big weary thing that you had when he was coming out of school was his back injury. But, you know, props off to Phoenix because they took care of business. They were dominant the entire time. I thought maybe Denver could steal one game because they have the MVP yeah, you of the did. league. But, <laughs> but you know, they, they took care of business. And this is a team that, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I take the Jazz or uh, – or the Clippers over them at this point, especially with seeing Chris Paul where he's at right well, now. Well, we're, we're well, we'll get to that series in a second. Yeah. yeah. But and, and, and but I think health is a reason why right now I would take the Suns because I think both of the those two team star players have some problems. Um, I think a big thing for the Suns, other than the Chris Paul thing, is that um, I think you sort of knew what you had in Chris Paul. You knew roughly what you had in Devin Booker, but then Aiton and Bridges are now both like fantastic players. Mm-hmm. So what so whereas like Bridges might have been viewed as like a fifth starter or sixth man going into this year. Okay, now he's a legit fourth starter. And Aiden was a legit third, I don't want to say star, but like, you know, top whatever guy. You know, top you call him like an all-star snub, even though he's not really one. You know what I mean? Like that that sort of caliber, right? He's on the next tier below that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, 35, something like that, mm-hmm. as terms of players in the league. Um so 
So now they have a legit JIT four. Like I look at those four guys, like, damn, that's a team. That's a real team right there with two guards, a wing, and a big, which is, you know, a perfect, perfect uh, setup right there. So I've just been impressed. I like the coaching. I like the bench. I like the three-point shooting they have around those guys and a lot of threats on the floor, good spacing. Um, so, yeah, man, I really like watching that team play. And, you know, like I already said, I'll, I'll be pulling for them and, and looking forward to seeing them play. But let's get to the Chris Paul thing. Um, so he comes up. Comes so he's, yeah, he's in the health and safety protocols for indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, I, there's not that much news that's out right now, but just like the fact that he's in there, this news broke early this morning. We're recording this at 10. We started this at 10, 10 a.m. Um, Wednesday morning. And it was like at 8, 8.30 a.m. This came out at 8.39-ish um, that he's going to be in there indefinitely. So I don't know what that means at this point for I him. Think, I think, well, so I, do we know what actually, like, what he actually did? No, no, not. I mean, here, I'll check. But, I mean, like, th- we saw this with with LeBron James. Where Dude, was I was about to – I don't see how you can't comp it to the LeBron thing and say, yo, if they took LeBron off the hook, I don't see how you can screw over Chris Paul. Just my opinion. I don't want to see those double standards, especially for, you know, it's not like Chris Paul is like, it's not like this is campaign. It's Chris Paul. You know what I mean? Maybe he's not, he's not LeBron, but he's right below him. So I don't, I don't want to see any of that, that like, you know, come on now, let's, let's have him pass a test, see these COVID negative and get him back on the court. Yeah. The only thing I'm seeing is Phoenix Suns, all this is from Shams, uh, Hmm. Phoenix Suns, all NBA guards, Chris Paul has entered the COVID-19 health and safety safety protocols and is sidelined for an indefinite period of time, sources tell the athletic in the stadium. So yeah, there's not that much information out about where he was or what has caused him to join this, but yeah, this isn't like him and LeBron are the two ambassadors of the NBA. When you think of the NBA and the two hierarchies, when it comes to the player's power, it's these two guys. So I, I don't see it being a double, like there being a double standard, especially when this guy is going to the Western Conference Finals and everybody, I, I, I don't think there's a person that hates on Chris Paul at this point. Cause I think, I think if you're an NBA fan, if you're a true NBA fan, unless you're like a Clippers or Jazz fan, when you play against the Suns, you should be rooting for, for Chris Paul. This is a guy that has had so many bad breaks with injuries and just has been such a, a positive for the league that you should be rooting for him to get on the court and to win. Yeah. I can see, I can see why. honestly though, like I'm not going to say he's like a, like a Mike Conley who literally nobody hates. I think he like could rub people <laughs> the wrong way with all the ref stuff. So I know, I, but like how much is that different than like every other star? No, I agree. I agree. So, yeah, but you can find people that hate every star. Honestly, okay. so. I could see that then. So um, yeah, but this, this throws, if say, if, Chris Paul is not available for the Western Conference Finals. This completely changes the outlook of what you look at the Phoenix Suns. It's a guy that dictates the tempo, that runs the offense, and is kind of like he's the he he is the heart and soul of this team. I think. You know, the thing is, if Clippers Jazz go to seven, we should be able to talk before Game One of the West Finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, almost uh, definitely. I, I, so I, we'll, I have to think so. So Thursday. Because even if it's every two days and it's an, it's tonight's it's game five, then yeah, we'll definitely be able to talk. Yeah, it's Friday, uh, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Yeah, we should be. Maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe we missed game one. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's go right to that series. So, Jazz won the first two games. Um, the Clippers. Pretty convincingly. Yeah, the, the Clippers can – well, the first game was close, right? It was, like, it was closer to halftime, and then they came back out and just – I mean, yeah, they were – they were like a three-point three, like game. Am I mixing this up? Um, let me check. I'm pulling up right now. It was a yeah six point game. Like 
Yeah, so you know, closer to what you were thinking. It was 13 point. It was just the the complete swing because the uh the Clippers were up 13 at half. It was 60 to 47. I remember that. And then the fact that they were out to out, able to outscore them by 19 is what uh, mixed me up with that. So um so anyway, like th- they've been good. Um or like you know the Clippers can afford to go can afford to go down 0-2 more than some other teams based on the fact that they've like proven it against the Mavs. And, you know, lo and behold, they're back. It's 2-2. Playoff had two 30-point games back-to-back. So um, he's kind of going off, which is big. <laughs> well, both him and Kawhi. Yeah, well, but Kawhi's a given. You know I, I mean? back, back. He's one of the best players in the league. So, but, yeah. here, but here's a good stat. That was the first time – or that was the fourth time – game three was the fourth time that they had both scored 30 points – or more in a game together and since they, they joined in 2019. And then they did the second yeah, time. Yeah, and then they, they did it again. So they're back. Um, I So big takeaway for me is like – and the reason that – so when I was talking about the Bucks earlier, is like this is the difference between a regular season and a playoff team. I would have brought up the Jazz, except the Jazz at this point have confirmed to me that like with Donovan Mitchell that they have – you know, Donovan Mitchell's type of guy – who um, like is playoff ready? You know what I mean. He can score. He's a problem. Like he he's getting forty. You know, and, and sometimes takes a lot of shots to get there. But he's an ISO scorer. He can get it done. So you know, they sort of have the recipe. The only problem is they don't really have a backup scorer. Like a guy like Bogdanovich. Well, no Conley, obviously. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. I mean, there's just not enough initiators on this offense with Conley out and Mitchell hobbled by his ankle injury that he's had the past. That he's had to deal with the past couple of games. Yeah. Like you, you look at like Bogdanovich, Ingles, Royce O'Neal, all these guys. Bogdanovich and Ingles, I think more so are play, are somewhat initiators. Like when it comes to they can get their own shot, but they're not. I guess they can get their own shot, but they're not initiators on offense. And when you don't have Conley and Mitchell is hobbled, this just it puts a lot of pressure on these other guys, and that's what's playing in the, the Clippers' hands right now. And the in Clippers' insane efficiency on the offensive end, where they've just been just shooting the hell out of the ball the past couple of games has forced Utah to play in the half court and stresses playmaking and dribble drive penetration even more. And they're not able to get, get any of that. What? So, uh, so Mitchell Saturday night as the game's like getting out of hand gets hurt and it looks pretty bad, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he ends up coming back and, and playing the next game, but uh, you know, shooting wasn't great. And then, and this is what I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about why I would favor the Suns in a potential Western Conference Finals over either of these teams is that with the bombshell today, just now about Kawhi, who has this knee problem, and he's confirmed out for Game Five. Yes, he is out for Game Five, and, and the rest of this rest of the series is in doubt. So, yeah, that is a freaking bombshell. That was out of nowhere because this was late in the game, also late in the fourth quarter, and you didn't really make anything of it. Um, he just like grimaced at his knee. And that's now the injury that he came. I, I, I can look up because I had somebody pinpoint the exact play. Um, but the, yeah, this is a major, major issue. I'm not, I mean, obviously it's an issue, but this is a major swing of events in, in this series. Not only for if you're thinking about the Western Conference Finals and if they play the Phoenix Suns, because this is a guy that's just been the consistency, the, the consistent producer, even with Paul George. Like Paul George has had his moments where – in the first two first two games of this series where he wasn't there and now you're telling me that you're taking Kawhi out of this the guy that was also guarding um Donovan Mitchell for the beginning portion of game four and game three I believe this is the 
biggest blow that they could have had to their team. And now yeah. Paul George is going to have to show why he he signed that big contract and why, you know, playoff piece. P. 40 piece tonight. Oh, yeah? No question. <laughs> okay. I mean, look, like the Clippers, they turned a corner after the 2-0 series lead that the Utah Jazz took. They just became more physical. I mean, we saw it in game three. Batum picks up full court on the first possession of game three. They made the right adjustments on defense. They helped the help with Mitchell where they had a help defender on either side because they just want to put it in somebody else's hands, which is what you should do, especially with Mike Conley out. Um, they're putting pressure on the other guys to generate offense and they haven't been able to do so. And they like specifically in game four, they dominated facets where you normally see the jazz thrive. So in game four, they were eight, the, the Clippers outscored the jazz 18 to one in second chance points. And then 12 to zero in fast break points. And that was the first time all year that the Jazz didn't score a single fast break point. That, that's insane. That's when you think of that team, you think of Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors dominating the boards and getting those, those easy buckets, especially when the Clippers like to go small ball. They don't like to throw out Zubach out there. They don't love to throw out DeMarcus Cousins, obviously, who only plays like about four minutes a stretch. And then in, in those two particular instances, specifically the second chance points, if you're getting out scored 18 to one, that's not a recipe for, for success. And then on the fast breaks, similarly to what I was saying before, the efficiency with which the Clippers are shooting, it doesn't allow the, the Jazz to get out in transition because they're also taking care of the ball for the most part. I agree. I agree. I think um, if, I knew Mitchell would be 80 to 90%. It wouldn't be a question about tonight, but you never know. You really never know. But um, mm -hmm. so it's not like you're saying no Kawhi and no Mitchell, because you're going to have some Mitchell. I think you got to lean jazz. I mean, unless playoff puts in an all time performance, Paul George, that is. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. I, I think, you know, it, a lot of it might come down to, you know, which guy as a lot of these games do, is it, Marcus Morris who makes seven threes or is it Bogdanovich who makes seven threes? You know, I feel like it's how a lot of these games are decided. So, um, yeah, in game four in game, like in game three, it was Batum and Jackson each scoring 17 on six and nine shooting and six of eight from three or six of nine shooting from Batum, six of eight from the field for Jackson, then four of five, four of six and five of six from three for each of those. And then in game four it was 24 from Morris on six of 11 shooting and five of six from three. Yeah, like I was saying, like when I talked about game seven and Clippers Mavs last week, I, I think it's like, like using last night, for example, all the talk will be about Durant, and rightfully so. But, the, but like the, the sneaky truth is that it, Jeff Green had a gazillion points and like, mm -hmm. the, you know, that's sort of it. Like, and you know, the, the Bucks didn't have that guy. Mm -hmm. um, I sort of think that's like when, because when you make, because when the league is centered around having one to two to potentially three stars and everybody else is a three and D player, the, and like, you know, three point shooting is a high variance thing. The guy who, who, who shoots, you know, who makes every two out of three and, you know, makes six or makes seven, makes five, that guy's going to win. And so I sort of think that's like, that's where the league stands, you know, outside of these like phenomenal. Yeah, players. no, we're, cause we're at the point in the season where, or in the playoffs and the season where everybody has stars, every team has stars. When you go, when you go top to bottom, who's left in the playoffs, all these guys have stars that can put up points. It's about how the, the difference maker is obviously if your star shows up, but also what role players step up on which team. Yeah, if you assume that it's a given that your stars show up, like if you're like, a lot of the times in these games, your stars like almost cancel out. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it boils down to like, we'll get to um, 
Hawks Sixers next, which is the last series we have, but it's the same thing. You know, Trey has a million assists. He doesn't have a million assists if, if his guys aren't shooting well. And at the same time, like we were talking about, we spoke about last week, I said, you know, you need something out of that Shake Milton Tyrese Maxey spot. You don't get it and then you lose. And now there's some Embiid stuff to talk about there. Yeah. Um, but before that, do you have anything anything else on this series? I mean, the, the bombshell that we got this morning, just, I mean, I, I, like I was willing to change it because I thought I thought the Clippers tended to corner, especially since we haven't gotten any Conley news about him possibly coming back on the court. And now this Kawhi stuff, because it really looked like the Clippers had like just really locked down on what they needed to do to win and just were doing that really well. And now this just a complete like wrench in the or whatever uh, a rip in their sails I think is the, the saying. But yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, I I have to go Utah at this point specifically be, and and mainly because of that, but also they have the home court. So game seven, if Kawhi's out for game five, game five and game like throughout the rest of the series, they have that that comeback where they can dominate at home. And, you know, the thing is, like, thinking about it now through the playoffs of the remaining, I guess, seven teams now, um, is there any team that hasn't had a serious injury, right? Like The Bucs. That's the crazy thing. The The Bucs and the Hawks are the closest thing, too, right? If you want to say, like, Dante and DeAndre Hunter, you know, these guys are fifth starters, rotation guys, whatever. Um, But then it's, like, every team, like, even the Suns, who seem to be back now, but they had something. You know, yeah. all these teams. You, know, you got to so battle right through in. it. The I saw Bucks someone probably had the the um, least bad one, right? Mm-hmm. Like like the, the least impact to what they do doesn't even matter. Yeah. Um. I saw somebody saying, uh, somebody on Twitter saying this morning, like this is this mu- this must be the real, like the actual uh, asterisk season. This might be the actual asterisk season because there are so many guys that are just out for this year that have just that where it impacts the playoffs. I mean, it's, well, it's, only, ast- ast- it's only an asterisk if the Nets win. Okay. <laughs> All right, going to go to our last series, 76ers. Wait, 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 wait. Who are you taking in this Utah? Clippers series. Are you still got, sticking with the Clippers? Yeah, I got to go with the Clippers. Okay, uh, just want to double I, check. Kawhi will be back. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. I I assume so too. But we it just this was such a bomb. This was just so out of nowhere. Kawhi plays on one leg and drops forty in Game Six in, in LA. My prediction after they lose tonight. But we'll see. Okay. All right. Anyway, yeah. Last series we got to get to. Um, Hawks 76ers. I'll just kick it right to you. What do you want? What do you have as like the leading storyline following a Game Four with the Hawks tied up? Well, there's two things. There is the Sixers just blowing a prime opportunity to just cement this series and give yep. themselves extra time to rest for the Eastern Conference Finals and give give Embiid, who is my second point, even more time to heal up his torn meniscus, his slightly torn meniscus. And they were just dominating this. In, like game four, they were dominating. They were just everything was flowing with them. It was similarly to how the Bucks were against the Nets in game four as well, where the Bucks were just they were moving. They were taking care of business. They were leading by about 18 going into the third and then just shit hit the oh, fan. Game five. Game five, five for the Bucs. Game five for the Bucs, yeah. Game four for the Sixers. Yep. And then Embiid just – there was a little – I felt like there was a little injury scare and going into the second half, and he just did not look this did not look the same at all. Obviously, 0 of 12 in the second half – is and speaks for itself. This was the most field goal attempts in a single half by a player without a make in the past 25 years. 
but he wasn't asserting himself on the offensive end it, while being like a step slow on the defensive end. It felt like he well, was just chilling at the top of the key around the three-point line. He wasn't just banging bodies and taking care of business against a smaller Clint Capella like he had been in the earlier part of the season. Yeah, let me just add one thing about it. So, you know, I feel like a lot of people talk about Anthony Davis and they say, oh, he has like an injury scare at half or something like that. I really think Embiid is worse. I think anytime he goes to the four, you think he's dead, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Um, and and it's just, it's all the time with this guy. And he gets injured every bit as much as AD. I really think it's worse with Embiid than it is with AD. Um, and, and I also think with Embiid, it's almost a bit of like a ticking time bomb right now because he has his partially t- torn meniscus. You know it's not going to get better unless he pulls a Chris Paul and, and gets better overnight, but I don't see that happening. That doesn't um, happen with like with leg injuries. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, and, and so it's just like, yeah, the Sixers looked great in, in game three in the early part of game four, but, but then I sort of like think back and I'm like, yo, like it's not going to get better and Beat's not going to keep dropping 40. It's going to go down and down and down. Now I think it's like, like when the when the Sixers are good, you, you, you buy into all the stuff and, and you just think of all the, like the talent they have and like and it works. And then when they're bad, it's so unwatchable and like it, it's just it, there's so much wrong with it. It's so so much of like a zag when the league zigs, as it were, with, with the size and the lack of shooting. I mean, they do have like role players. They, but, they have shooters now. I mean, no, they do. But I, I guess I mean when I talk about two best players being Embiid and Simmons, that's mm-hmm. sort of a zag. Yeah, zigs. that's what I mean. Yeah, um, where you have the dominant big man and not saying that Embiid can shoot the ball, but it's just the dominant big man. Oh, he's a then, shooter, no question. Yeah, but then you have Simmons who also do, like who isn't a shooter and he's your facilitator. There's a reason that Jamal Murray is the perfect fit next to Jokic, not Ben Simmons, right? Mm-hmm. It just it just makes, makes way more sense. Yeah. Um. So, man, it just you know, and Trey had like what 25 points and like 18 assists. Um, crazy performance. He's really, you know, mature. I didn't even, I didn't even think, yeah, I think he's taking up another step. I just didn't think in that game he was particularly that great. Or I know, just as, score, score, as a scorer. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, as a scorer, oh. I just didn't personally didn't think he was that great. Uh, no, definitely. Not. I mean, look, it, it's a lot harder to go up against Tybal and Simmons than it is yeah. to go up against Reggie Bullock. Yeah, that's um, that's it. The the length just seemed to be it seemed to be just a little too much for him, making him uncomfortable yeah. when driving in the paint. And yeah, when you when you went up against the Knicks, it's Taj Gibson in the middle as opposed to Joel Embiid and Dwight Howard. You almost you almost watch the Sixers and you're like, wait, how are the Knicks a top like five defensive team? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, um, the Knicks are another regular season team because it yeah. goes to show that effort goes a long way in the regular season because not yeah. everyone gives it. Yeah. Um, yeah, this series though. Um, because from, well, like from game one after the first half to game four, first half, Sixers looked like the clear, more dominant team. They were bigger, faster, stronger, just better. And then these past two half, the last two halves literally dictated the fact that the Atlanta Hawks won those two games. That's so true. So, so you could say that the Sixers have been, like in terms of halves, they're up six two, mm-hmm. but the series is two two. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think it's like my instinct is just to say Sixers game five. But like, what if the Sixers lose game five? That would be crazy. Then they'd be down three two going back to Atlanta. Yeah, I, and you know the Embiid stuff. It's just I, I expect him to come out and and you know not to not be as lackadaisical because I, there was just so many times where he was just chilling around the three point line and he really wasn't he really wasn't banging down low and you know he admitted after the game he likely will not be 100 percent. and who's 100 percent at this point but he said until the season's over he's just like i just didn't have the lift 
but usually I would uh but usually I would go up and and especially for a bucket like that when he's talking about like the last second bucket like the layup he had uh that could possibly have tied it I try to dunk it you know try to get fouled and get an A1 but I just said not to not be able to jump for obvious reasons it's tough like he just doesn't have like the, I think the, 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 you, know, you know what this sort of makes me think of is like um and that's why I think it's so key that guys like Trey Young and Booker are having you know fantastic playoffs this year I think when a guy's been in the league for like seven years six seven years like Embiid has you sort of know who they are right like they show you what you are what they are and you sort of believe them like with, with players coming into the league earlier and earlier nowadays you know a guy who's like, you know, you'd be shocked to see the Kyrie's only like 27 or 28, right? You know, guys have been really forever. Um, and so I think when these guys are like 25, they're not getting that much better, right? Like they are who they are. That's why I always thought like people, like with Anthony Davis, you know, he'd be in his like seventh year in the league and they'd be like, yo, he's only 26. It's like, dude, what do you think is going to happen? The guy's been in the league for like, a, like over a half decade at this point. And so I think with Embiid, it, it sort of makes me think like, you know, this guy's deal is that he's dominant in the regular season. He can put in an amazing game any of the times, but it's just a proven fact that he can't make it to the finish line 100%. It, it's literally a proven fact. Um, it, it, you know, he, I'm not saying he's, like, going to get injured and, and miss games, but it's just a fact at this point, right? A guy like Ben Simmons, this is his, what, fifth year probably in the league? This is – he was, like, the 2017 draft, I want to say. No, I think he's earlier than that. Was he 16 draft? Maybe uh, let me let me look up let me look it up. But I get the sentiment that you're making. So it's like it's like it's Simmons, same, Simmons is not going to start shooting overnight, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like this is his deal. Mm-hmm. His stats are exactly the same from his rookie year. Maybe even a bit less points. He is objectively, you know, way better at defense for sure. Sixteen. Yeah. So so this is his like fifth, sixth year, and like this is who these guys are. Um, and so you know, like if a guy like Trey Young was still early season Trey Young three years from now. That would be Trey Young. That's his deal, right? But um, so that's why, you know, guys make the leap when they're 23 now, when they're 22 now, not when they're 27 like they used to when they went to college for four years. I guess that's my general point. So when a guy, you know, it's basically like if you finish a rookie deal or like that first year of the extension, you're the same player you were, that's who you are. Brandon Ingram, I'll use as another example. If he doesn't average 30 next year, it's like, dude, like, all right, this is his deal. He's like, he's like 22 points a game guy, you know, second best player on playoff team, maybe third best player on championship team if he's on the right team it's like so yeah at a certain at a certain point these guys um they don't like they need to make the leap sooner than you think mm-hmm. no and i i completely agree with the point that you're making um i mean we've seen it time and time again where it's like these leap the leaps need to be earlier because we've seen these guys I, I mean i related more so to football football because people are like oh we want these quarterbacks to sit behind and learn and it's like you know we see justin herbert come out in week one or week two or whatever, and just light it up. And meanwhile, we see Tua who struggles and it's like, okay, that's cause for concern because we see other yep. guys that are drafted around them. I, I will push back on the Anthony Davis one uh, just because I, I don't think anybody's like said, like he needs to add, like he'll, br- he'll bring this to his game. It's been the, it's been the, a little bit of the injury stuff, but he's also, I think that we're, I think it's the recency right now where he's gotten injured again, but like, no, I before, guess, I guess my I think, thing, my thing with Davis is that I think Davis has been a top 10 to 15 guy for five years at this point. And I, st- I still think he is, but I think three years ago, four years ago, you know, around the time they're sweeping the, the Blazers in the playoffs, you say, Oh, it's a formality that he's going to be the best player in the league. Anthony mm-hmm. Davis will never be the best player in the league. And I would have told you that three years ago, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just facts. Okay. I, I, then I, I get that point. And you know, that, that uh, I completely agree with the sentiment that, you know, 
these guys are who they are. Giannis, he's not developing a three-point shot. He's not even developing a mid-range shot. And that's the scariest part about it is like, this guy hasn't developed any short sort of reliable jumper outside of the paint. And it's not even that he needs to be the the three. He doesn't need to be Kevin Durant from three-point range. He needs to be just DeMar DeRozan from the mid-range and then just be respectable enough from there. Um, and the same way with Embiid. He's a guy that we have seen just the steam just – it just lo- it, he loses steam as the the season goes on and into the playoffs because of the way he plays the just the recklessness with his body when he when it comes to just diving into the paint and LeBron we've seen that but LeBron's an outlier he's not the 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 standard for this but going back to the se- the series I mean similar to what you were saying early on it's like the bench just didn't have the producer that they had in game four specifically the bench didn't have the producer they had in game two with Milton going off in the third and fourth quarter and then. And then Korkmaz starting off hot in game three. They just didn't have that in this one. And meanwhile, Atlanta, they, they've they got these guys. They've, they've just got so many different guys. I mean, John Collins was probably the most impressive guy for Atlanta, I think, in that game. Or just the guy that really jumped out outside of Trey because Trey has the ball so much in his hands. But John Collins is fighting for offensive rebounds. He's getting putbacks, all these different things um, that really revitalized and kept possessions alive when it was a close game in the fourth. No, I agree. I, I think, um, man, I just love the construction of the Hawks team. I feel like I always end up saying that whenever we talk about them, but it's yeah. just, uh, man, not to mention that Hunter is out for the season, it seems. So it just, um, it just, yeah, they're a well put together team. They play with heart. Um, I think the Sixers and especially Embiid sort of thought that he could walk through the second half and get a win. Wasn't the case. Um, of course, I'll pick the Sixers for the series, but I do kind of hope the Hawks can. I, I hope the Hawks can win Game Five. I just love to see what would happen. <laughs> that would, wow! I, the Sixers just completely against the wall at that one, especially like, especially given ha- how it looked at halftime of Game Four, and then it's like it would almost be like, a, oh my god, like they actually lost Game Five, and then they're they're really down three two going to Atlanta. I just you know be um what uh you know how how things can change right you know so yeah, yeah. no there was one lineup that uh, i saw people making note of that the hawks went out it was young bogdanovich collins gallinari and capella matched up and they were plus five in game four and it's because like i mean obviously you have the most length probably that you can have while still having trey out there but like mm-hmm. collins probably does the best job against harris harris has been just feasting this series putting up 20 plus in every game and as well as playmaking and then Bog- and you you have him against Harris and I guess you kind of have to, you have to get like, because of the fact that Simmons doesn't shoot, you're going to have to like allow Gallo just, you know, just be a big body there and just keep him out of the paint. Similarly to how like Blake Griffin and Jeff Green are with Giannis. Meanwhile, Bogdanovich and Herter are just too small for Simmons because Simmons just posts them up and just looks right over them each and every time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not often that Simmons goes like aggressive into the hoop. I mean, he had one game, I think it was game three where he had like 17. I thought he looked good in that one, but mm-hmm. um, it's, it's definitely not an every game thing. It's uh, you know, I was not, I was ripping him last week saying he's putting up jungle style on his <laughs> defense. Still yeah. not wrong, but. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I can't go away from the Sixers. I think they're way too well coached. I think they're, they have the veterans there. They have the guys that have been there Atlanta, you know, they scratch and claw their way there. And I think they steal these two games, but they just, like I said, like, and like you pointed out, the Sixers have one half six to two and yes, they're down two to two, but I just don't think they're letting off anymore so, at this point. So now, now I just think about the general picture. I think about who's going to get out of the East and it's like, 
a Sixers team with Embiid, who's going to be like 60% at that point, a Nets team with, I mean, who knows? They could be back to 100% in three weeks' time, so who knows there? Or a Bucks team that just doesn't deserve to be there, mm-hmm. right? And then in the West, you have the Suns, but then you have an injured Kawhi, and you have a hobble Donovan Mitchell. So at your show, right, when you said like 20 minutes ago that it, it was that this would be like, you know, the real asterisk season, I mean – you know, no season is an asterisk because injury is part of the game, but yeah. man, it's pretty, pretty depleted. Yeah, there. I mean, I like you go back even further. You like you scope you scope the playoff picture out more, and you still see the guys that were hobbled by injuries, namely obviously the Lakers, but there there was other Jamal ones. Murray. Like Jamal Murray, obviously, which was a huge factor in um the De- in the Denver Phoenix series, but you could also say like they, that team would be in a possibly a different situation when it came to seating, but I'm not, we're not going to get into that discussion <laughs> for right now. Uh, yeah. I'm riding with the Sixers. Uh, I think they still have the best player in the series. I, yeah, I, I don't think they're going down to, to the Hawks team, which is who's a good story at this point. I do like the way that they're constructed similarly to how the, the Suns are, which is all the spacing, the three point shooting. They have the big that can rim run. I mean, this, the Atlanta Hawks, the jazz and the, the Suns are pretty well, are pretty similarly put together when it comes to a ball dominant guard that's young a young or not really a young yeah i'll say booker um ball dominant guard a bunch of shooters around him and you know a big that can rim run and catch lobs and also be somewhat of a, a good defender obviously yeah. you can't say i'm not going to knock capella because he can't handle joel Embiid. because who is no definitely not well i actually think aiden could probably slow him down the way he's putting it up against AD and Jokic. I always slow him down. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Because he's got the body type that can actually match up with him. Yeah, a legit, a legit seven-footer, of which there are not many of it. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we'll be back next week to hopefully preview the Western Conference Finals. Uh, it seems like we might be a little late with uh, one of them, depending on when the start dates are, but we'll see. Otherwise, we'll check back in after game one of, uh, of those series. Uh, thank you for listening. Yep.